Okay, uh, let's turn over to Colossians and uh, we'll jump back in here. This is um, <laughs> this is where we we ask, as is so often in Paul's letters, he turns the corner between talking about the gospel and the person and work of Jesus, and now he's showing us the rich relevancy of what he's been talking with us about. And and really, this is a question that we almost have to wrestle with each day and each moment. And that is, uh, we know who Jesus is, we know the gospel, we've trusted Christ. And and yet every day we have to get up and live in light of those truths. Uh, As we go through new life experiences, as we have new situations, as we uh, have different relationships, that we would, um, the, the first thing that ought to come to mind is how do I apply my faith to this? What does Jesus and the gospel have to do with this? And, and we don't have to guess. Uh, Paul has laid out so clearly uh, in, in the major areas of life how the gospel ought to impact uh, our lives as we would uh, seek to honor him in all things. Uh, so with that in mind, let me uh, start the PowerPoint here, lest I uh, get going and forget. And we'll get started. Good there, and good there. And while that's loading, I'm going to put a cough drop in my throat here. Hopefully that'll help me. Okay, Colossians chapter 3. So go ahead and turn over there for me if you haven't already done so. And in these first few chapters, as we know, we learn about the person and work of Christ, that that wonderful display of who Jesus is and what he's done. In chapter two, we saw really uh, the the first glimpse of the occasion of the letter that he's writing uh, to combat heresy and combat uh, this these false teachers that have come into the church. Some of them saying you need to stay with Judaism and and, um, uh, practice some of the Old Testament ceremonial laws, others coming more from uh, uh, the Gentile, the the secular culture, talking about uh, mistreating your body as a means of growth in in spiritual things and and things like that, coming up with rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, things like that. And Paul concludes all that at the end of chapter 2, verse 23, when he writes this, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement, that is uh, the severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul says you can do all those things, but they're not going to help you. So you say, what will help you? What what is going to help us as believers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called? What's going to help us to live a life that is pleasing to Christ in light of who he is? And then, chapter 3, verse 1, turn the page, he says, therefore, right? Therefore. And um, this is review from last time, so this is not in your notes, okay? But this is just review from last time since it's been a couple of weeks. What is he going to say? Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and that's true if you're a Christian, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I was thinking about this. I was just trying to make this really simple. What are the things above? What are the 
Um, keep seeing the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above. Like, what is that, right? And we talked about some ideas last time. I, I boiled it down to three things, okay? The things above. If we're going to set our minds on things above, the first and most important is we're going to set our minds on Christ. And that goes back to chapter one. We're thinking about who he is and what he's done. And then we're going to set our mind on character. That's what the rest of the chapter is about. And companions. Okay, so Christ, character, companions. I think those things incorporate or encompass the things above. You say, how do you know that? Well, we know it's Christ because that's what he's been all wound up about the whole letter, right? Obviously, it's Christ. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. But these other two things are the things I think he wants us to focus on. It's character and it's companions. It's who you're becoming and how you're relating to other people. You say, where do you get that? Well, first, the whole rest of the chapter, and even in chapter four, is about two things. It's about your personal character before Christ, and it's how you relate to people in all sorts of different relationships. So it makes sense that as we would meditate on the personal work of Christ, we would want to be like him in our character, and we'd want to emulate him in our relationship with others. All right, so so Christ, character, companions. I even alliterated, so hopefully you'll remember that, okay? Christ, character, and companions, okay? It's righteousness and relationships. It's purity and people, right? That's that's what this is talking about here. Now, let's test that. If we're setting our minds on things above, where Christ is seated in the heavenly places, what what are the things that last eternally? People, there's companions, and what else? Christ-likeness. His word, certainly, yes, and that, that is what guide, those are the guide, his word are the guide rails of how we do uh, character and companions, right? So absolutely. But you think about that, only two things are really going to last into heaven. That is who you are before Christ, right? Your Christ-likeness, that's going to go on eternally, and, and in fact, it's even going to get better because it's going to be completed in heaven. And the second thing, the only thing you can take to, to heaven with you is what? Other people. So it makes sense, set your minds on things above, is Christ, right? That's chapter one, who he is, what he's done, his person, his work. And in light of who he is, what do we what do we put all our time and attention into? What do we focus on? And that is who we're becoming, right? Christ-like character and the people in our life that we're relating to. And again, don't take my word for it. That's what the whole rest of the, of the letter is going to be about, okay? But hopefully that just kind of simplifies it so that you... Um, you can you can uh, remember that, okay? The things above, these are not nebulous things. Set my mind on things above. What that means is I ought to be thinking more about my walk with Christ in terms of becoming more like him that day than I am, you know, what I'm going to have for lunch, you know, real profound theological things like that, or, you know, what I'm going to buy on Amazon that day. I mean, I mean those, those may be necessary, but I'm setting my mind on character and I'm setting my mind on people in my life that I can minister to, that I can share the gospel to, that I can help become more like Christ himself. The Christian life is about Christ becoming like him and sharing that with other people. Okay? All right. So here's the second therefore. Look at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, 
slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Notice that. That's important. Even as he talks about character, what's he saying? It's not like, oh, go be a good person. That's what Christians do. He says, go pursue what? Conformity to Christ. Remember that guy we talked about in chapter one? You're you're moving toward becoming more like him. And that's what God is doing in Christian growth, in sanctification. He's renewing us, verse 10, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. Again, emphasizing this isn't about just being a nice person. This is becoming more like Christ. And that is the point. So so we'll put it under this heading. Uh, the first sort of application of the therefore here is pursue a life of personal purity. Pursue a life of personal purity. Think about yourself now as being truly dead to those old habits of sin, right? We're, we're trying to picture this now. Just like we're thinking, I'm going to set my mind on things above, I need to think rightly about myself. And he says the first thing we have to do is to think rightly in regard to ourselves. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. We're dead to those old things. And likewise, remember that these are the very things that bring God's wrath. Verse 6, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And if you're if you're struggling with something in your life that you're trying to grow in toward Christ. And um, and that's all of us. There, there's no one here who's not struggling in some way, right? Maybe different ways, maybe different degrees, but we're all struggling because we're all in process, right? We're all moving toward Christ's likeness. So, so let's just say as we struggle, there's a couple of things that are going to help us. Number one, remember that we're dead. We're dead, right? Those, those things that were once important to us, we have died to in Christ. And secondly, when, and, and maybe you feel like this, one of the things that happens when you struggle with the same thing for a long time is you may lack a sensitivity to it. You may lack a, um, a consciousness about it. Maybe I'm just, Talking about me, but right. And and so we have to do things intentionally in the word of God to keep us sensitive to that thing that we're struggling with, to to keep us growing in hatred of the sin, to to keep us growing, to be motivated to to work hard against it and not become complacent with it. And uh, and I can say there are times I feel like I've become complacent to struggles. It's like, what am I doing? I need to I need to get back to fighting that. I need to get back to being aware of that. You say, well, how do we how do we redevelop that sensitivity? Well, Paul gives us a hint here. He says, remember that thing you're struggling with? The wrath of a holy God eternally poured out on sinners is what comes for doing things like that. So even though the the God's wrath is no longer a threat for us in Christ, right? But be clear about that, that that wrath is not a threat to us because it's been resolved in Christ. Nonetheless, thinking about other people that do not have that confidence in Christ and they will bear that eternal penalty of God's wrath forever because of the thing that I'm doing right now. 
and and what a what a cost that God paid to remove that wrath from us. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have communion here in in an hour or so next door, and and one of the things that that we do is we're gonna pass around a little cup. It's got some juice in it. One of the elders will pl- will pray, and uh, Pastor Terry will recite First Corinthians eleven, where the the um, uh, communion is initiated, right? And uh, and it, and Paul says something like this: This is the cup of the new covenant. You say, well, what's that all about? That cup represents the blood of Jesus shed for sin. You say, well, what's that all about? That was the night that in the garden, uh, after that whole thing happened, he talks to God and says, what? If possible, let the what? Let the cup pass from me. Well, what's, what, what's up with the cups? The cup that Jesus is talking to his father about is the cup of God's wrath that he's going to drink in a few hours on the cross. He's going to drink the wrath of God. He's going to take and bear the wrath of God so that it doesn't come to us. And that's what communion is. That, that cup is a reminder of the blood of Christ that absolves that and, and does away with that so that we don't have to drink the cup of God's wrath. It's an ex- The gospel is about an exchange of cups, if you will, in that way. And that's what he says. If you're having trouble finding motivation to fight that sin in your life or, or it, it's not as horrible as it used to be, it's not as horrific as it used to be, just think about that for a little bit. These are the things that bring God's wrath. Thirdly, uh, this is the process now, okay? Even though you once lived in them, now grow and mature by doing two things, okay? Put off sin and replace them with godly habits. This is, this is the engine of biblical change. We call it repentance. And repentance means that we're going to replace wrong thoughts, wrong desires, wrong words, wrong actions with godly thoughts, godly desires, godly words, godly actions. And he gives us some examples here. For example, put aside things like this, anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. He talks about that. And he says, instead, put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You say, well, how do we know what to do? Go back to chapter one. Read about Christ, who he is, what he did. Uh, how? Read the Gospels. What? You ever do this? You, you read the Gospels, and, and, and here's Jesus. He's walking through the synagogue, and he meets so-and-so. And just, just like be a fly on the wall there and study that thing. I'm going to meet some guy in swimming class like that. Right? I'm going to meet some guy in, in the homeschool co-op. Or I'm going to meet some person at work. And there's going to be some something about that that I learn from Jesus that I can apply to that situation. And then, and here's, here's the trick. Don't think that you just learn Christ-likeness by reading the Gospels and watching what Jesus does. The whole rest of the New Testament, when it's giving us advice, it's giving us counsel, it's telling us do this, don't do that, think about this way, don't think about it this way. That's what we call the mind of Christ. The Bible reveals the mind of Christ. So as we are thinking about the Bible and, and applying what we learn, we're moving toward Christ's likeness, even though the passage may not be specifically mentioning Jesus. So that's how we do it. We put off and we put on. And along the way, he says, since you have died, you have been given a new self, which is being changed to be just like Christ. And here's here's the sort of bottom line here, right? Why is there hope for personal purity? Why can we pursue a life of personal purity? Because he says this, Christ is all and in all. Uh, What do you think he means by that? 
That was your cue. Jump in. What does he mean by that? Yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah, it's an identity statement, isn't it? Christ is all and in all. Uh, he is all, meaning what? That goes back to chapter one. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the first one to rise from the dead, right? He's the one that runs the universe. He's the one that made the universe, for that matter. He, he's everything. He, he's, he's done all of this. He is life. And if it's true, what he just said here, that we've died and we've been resurrected, connected to Jesus, then we have everything we need, don't we? And we have a new identity that is Christ. And so he is all, right? And he is in all, meaning in all who would call on him as believers. Um, and, and notice, uh, no distinction here. Uh, I know it's the Olympics are going on and there's, you know, talk about race relations and COVID and all this and what's going to happen when the anthem is played. And can we just, we just come back and see once again, the Bible has a powerful, sufficient, adequate solution to the conflicts that we see in, in race relations and ethnicities and other things. Look at this. Anyone can become a Christian, right, and grow into the image of the one who created him. That renewal, verse 11, is a renewal which there is no distinction. Look at this. No racial divides, no ethical divides, no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, even if you're a Scythian. That sounds like something out of Star Wars, right? Is it Scythian or is it Sith? Sith, right? Scythian? Okay, yeah. Okay. Scythian, right. George Lucas wasn't around back then, so. Um, slave, free man. See, this is, this is it. Christ is sufficient. And we find an identity in him, and that identity transcends all the other false and counterfeit identities that we look to in that. So he is everything. And he is in all believers, and that means he is sufficient. Okay, so how do we apply all this? We set our minds on things above, right? Christ, character, companions. That's character, right? Pursue a life of personal purity. Now let's look at the companions. Pursue a life of relational harmony. This is how do we get along with other people? Character and companions. It's purity and people or righteousness and relationships, right? That's what we're doing here. Verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. See, now, now he's transitioning from sort of those, those personal character attributes to attributes that we need in relation to other people. So it's personal purity, and now he's going to talk about what we might call relational harmony. Well, how does that happen? Well, you grow in a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, why should I do that when they hurt me? Just as the Lord forgave you, right? That's that's the motivation. 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to your hearts, to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, 
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Okay, there's a lot there. Let's see if we can unpack at least the highlights, okay? So number one, since you have been chosen by God to be holy. Now, that, that's important. Notice chapter 3, verse 1. Watch this. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, what's that? That's a reminder of your identity, right? It's a reminder of your position. Look at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. What's that? That's an identity statement. It's a reminder of your position in Christ. You see this? Now look at verse 12. So, as those have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, what's that? It's another identity statement. It's a reminder of your Did you see this? And if, if you're a new Christian, this is one of those big, huge ideas you have to get or... It just, it, the Christian life just, you're gonna, you're gonna spin your wheels, okay? Our practice always grows out of our position. Our pursuit of Christ likeness always follows out of a confidence that we are already united to Him. See, this pursuit of Christ likeness, trying to get along with people, growing in your faith, that's never done out of obligation. It's not done because you're trying to get God to be impressed by you. It's not done out of guilt. It's not done out of shame. It's not done out of personal improvement. That our pursuit of Christ likeness and how we relate to other people even in that always flows out of a confidence that we are in Christ and he is in us. That's the previous verse, right? Christ is all in it and all. But notice these position statements, these I am in Christ statements, since I'm chosen, since I've been raised up, right? That, that, that's so important that you see that, that we do the Christian life out of a confidence that we already belong to him and nothing can change that. And, and we will get in all sorts of trouble if we slide, let, let that thought slide out of alignment to where we're pursuing righteousness or we're trying to get along with people for some other reason. We do that out of a confidence in who God has already made us to be. That's what he's saying here. Since you've already been chosen by God to be holy, pursue the qualities that lead to harmony with others. You've heard this before, right? Be or, or what do I say? Um, be who you are or, or act who you are. That, that's, a, that's putting it in, a, in one statement, what's being described here. Since you've been chosen, now pursue the qualities that lead to harmony with others. Well, what are some of those? Uh, he, he gives us several here, things like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Uh, th- those are those are qualities to pursue in relationships. And and, and this is a, a great thing to do. Take a section like this in Colossians in your devotional time. And um, I, what I have in my prayer journal is I have a, a page for my wife and a page for each of my three kids and a page for uh, friends and family and a page for missionaries and other pastors and schools and a page for counselees, a page for all of you guys, right? And that's a good thing to do is just say, Lord, um, how am I doing with having a heart of compassion toward, how am I doing being gentle with, and just put a person's name in that blank. And and this, this can be a wonderful um, evaluation tool 
to know, well, I'm just always losing it with that person. I'm just always upset with that person. Well, let this passage guide and diagnose and and then help you to know how to grow through that. Uh, Verse 13 reminds us why we do this. We bear with one another and forgive each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Remember that God's gracious treatment toward us is the motivation for how we treat others. Again, it goes back to chapter one. What did Christ do? He died on the cross for our sins. He bore our wrath. He redeemed us from slavery. He paid our debt. And, and so chapter one, see, this, this is, okay, you're going to think I'm crazy, but, but remember this. Write this down. Chapter three of Colossians comes after chapter one. Did you get that? Do I need to say that again? Okay. All right. But see, that's what we do. We, I'm going to go to the good stuff, right? And where's the husband and wife stuff and the, the parenting stuff, right? And, and we do that, and then we try to apply it, and we go, ah, we fall on our face. We go, well, this isn't working. See, God's word isn't working. It's because you didn't start chapter one. What's it go? Start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, right? That's where you do. Because if, if you don't have a mind saturated with the person of Christ and the work of Christ applied to yourself, You will lack the motivation and you will lack the spiritual energy and you will lack the spiritual perspective to go and be like that to other people that are sometimes hard to get along with. So let chapter one get your heart right as you come to chapter three in application. Does that make sense? Does that make? Okay. So, so that's what we need to do. God's gracious treatment toward us is the motivation for how we treat others. And by the way, I'm just putting on that. Um, as as uh, I do a lot of counseling, and, and, and one of the privileges of that is hearing people's stories. And I can tell you, um, there are almost unspeakable, horrible things that some people have been through. And this passage in saying, you know, forgive others and be that, that's not minimizing the hurt that might have been done to you. That, that's not the intent of that. The intent is to say, even though horrible things may have been done to you or against you, that you have a God who has died for you and for our rebellion against him, which even as horrible as what human beings can do to us, our rebellion against our creator is is a far more offensive uh, reality even. And so we're not, we're not minimizing pain and hurt and abuse and things that have been done, but just saying that in Christ, we have been given a, a, a gift. We've been given grace and mercy. And that grace and mercy transforms our heart to be able to show patience and love and even to forgiveness to undeserving people that have hurt us, even in horrible situations. So there, there is... There is wonderful grace and mercy and power in these verses. Verse 14, strive to love, which leads to unity. Look at verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That's a great question. You say, how am I doing with my love? I'm loving people. I think I'm doing pretty good. Well, look around you. Do you see harmony and unity? Because that's what love produces, is harmony and unity. And, of course, Paul is mainly thinking about the body of Christ here, right? We understand, like he says in, in Romans 12, 18, sometimes, you know, you do as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, right? Sometimes 
Uh, people don't want to be unified with you. But what he's saying is, particularly in the body of Christ, if we are loving well, we should see unity. And that's another great diagnostic for our church and for our families. Uh, number four, aim for peace that leads to oneness in the body. Have you, have you, are you noticing the theme? <laughs> Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Uh, sometimes this verse is wrongly used in decision-making. Uh, how's that go? Well, okay, I've got this house I can buy or this house I can buy, so what are we going to do? Well, I'm just going to, I have more peace in my heart about this house. You know, let the peace of Christ rule, and this is used in, in Christian decision-making books and how to know the will of God books. The, the problem is this isn't about buying a house. It's not about decision-making. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What is this about? What, by context, what is what sort of peace is being talked about here? Is it, is it peace in your heart toward a decision? No, no, what is it? It's relational peace, isn't it? It's peace with other people. Um, so so the the I have peace in my heart so I can make this decision. That doesn't that doesn't flow out of this verse at all. It's not what the verse is talking about. The peace is relational peace. Uh, 16. Oh, I'm sorry. Be thankful. Don't, don't forget the end of 15, right? Uh, let, let the uh, peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Almost, almost as an afterthought, Paul says be thankful. But you know what thankfulness does? Thankfulness is going to bring together all of these other pursuits. It, it, it's like it, it unites them all together. When you can be thankful in the midst of difficult circumstances and difficult people, um, then chances are you you are winning those battles in your hearts and you are moving toward Christ's likeness. It's, it's why the Bible is often going to say, like in, in Philippians, when you're anxious and you cast all your anxiety, you, you be anxious for nothing, but in everything you pray to God with what? With thankfulness, right? Uh, it's hard to be thankful and to worry at the same time. Have you notice that? And it's hard to be struggling with other people in terms of you know sin between us when you are thanking God in the midst of those difficulties. I love this verse. Intentionally dwell on the word of God and let it drive your mouth. (laughs) Look at this. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's the parallel passage to Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the spirit. And it's one of the reasons that, that we believe that to be filled with the spirit is to be filled with the word of God. So what we're talking about here is intentionally dwelling on the word and let it drive your mouth. What what do you think that means, to intentionally dwell on the word of God? Meditate on it? Take every thought captive? I know you've heard this before, but my favorite illustration for meditation is football, right? You know this, right? There he is. He's going for the ball in the end zone. He does a one-hand grab. Does he drag the other foot before he gets it in? I don't know. Let's watch the replay. And then, you know, Fox 4 Sport, or Fox Sport, but they have about 900 cameras. And in that moment, in about, you know, a minute and a half, and oh, up there, there goes the challenge flag, up there from the challenge call, and we have another five minutes of watching all 900 cameras and slow motion and replay. You're watching different angles and frame by frame through it, right? Well, that's meditation. That's why when a guy says, oh, Pastor Keith, I don't know how to meditate. I'm a guy. I, don't. I said, oh, you don't know how to do football? Well, that's different. No, it's not. That, that's meditating. When you're watching that play from nine different angles, frame by frame, that's meditating. 
Except instead of looking at the guy's foot, we're thinking about what we just read in our Bibles in the morning. And we're thinking about it from different angles. We're looking at it word by word, frame by frame. We're looking at it in context. How does this apply? What does this mean? Uh, what can I do? How, how am I doing? That's, that's meditation. So that's, that's absolutely what we're supposed to do. Dwell on the word of God in terms of meditation. Um, what other ways do we dwell on the word of God? Memorize it. Yeah, because you're going to be in your car. And, and when, when that temptation arises to get angry at the driver in front of you or the crescent train because the bypass isn't done yet. And right. You don't that you don't want to be getting out your Bible app and going, I know Pastor Terry used that great verse. What was that verse? You don't want to do that because you're going to wreck your car. Okay, so don't do that. But if you memorize it, what is that? A memorized verse is ammunition ammunition for the Holy Spirit, isn't it? A memorized verse is ammunition for the Holy Spirit. Because if that were if that that verse is in your mind and that Holy Spirit has a way of just energizing it in that moment so that you're convicted, you're guided, you're encouraged. So you you want to be a, a, a lousy Christian, you want to be a, a Christian that's struggling, just walk around with your Bible closed all the time. And uh, so to be in it, to memorize it, that's why we do a wanna, we emphasize this in our church. Um so be memorizing the word of God if, if you're not doing that. That's ammunition. So meditating, memorizing. How about just reading it? Speaking of which, are you still reading Colossians? I haven't asked you that. Before. Are you still reading Colossians? Right? Okay. Well, hey, today is a new day. Right? Today, new mercies every morning, right? The Bible says. So you can start back up to it today. But be in the word. Memorize. But, but notice this. It's, as I meditate on it, memorize it, read it. Look at this. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, we, we, we meditate on the word and, and dwell on it and read it. And what does that do? It instructs our mouths, doesn't it? Jesus had this really convicting moment in, in Luke chapter 6. I think it's verse 45 or 43. He said this, the mouth speaks from that which fills your heart. Which means what's coming out here is telling the world what's going on in here. So if you're letting the word dwell in you richly, that's what's going on in your heart. What's going to come out of your mouth? Right? The scriptures. Or use it as a diagnostic. If what's coming out of your mouth is not great, well, it's not a mouth problem. It's a heart problem is what Jesus is saying. So let your your mind dwell on the things of God, and that will transform how you teach and how you admonish. It's what you sing. Um, this is really great because it's it's we're teaching one another, we're admonishing. That word admonish means to counsel. So that's just encouraging and, and giving people advice and listening and helping. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, we sing uh, with thankfulness. Notice in, in this case we're we're singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God and. And again, that's that's a good thing. You know, I, I don't know if, if you're all music people or you're not music people. You like to sing, you don't like to sing. But but a Christian is somebody who, when they've been in the Word of God and they're memorizing the Word of God and they're dwelling on the Word of God and they're 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 all over this, that it's gonna come out of you. And one of the best ways that it comes out is in singing. So you know what? Make that playlist. 
roll down your windows, crank up the volume, and have at it. Right? Crank up that Bluetooth speaker when you're getting ready in the morning in the shower and, you know, pretend, pretend it's American Idol and you're just, you're just doing the cup, right? That, that's, that's what we do. Family worship, worshiping here corporately. Uh, one, one of the, the highlights of our youth summer study is uh, all the kids get together and we hand them an instrument or they sing whatever and we sing. And, uh, that, that is, that is the fruit. Ought to be the fruit of dwelling on the word of God. And finally, do everything you do for the Lord Jesus in thankfulness to God. That's sort of the bottom line, right? Whatever you do, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know what? So swim. Where, where's my seals here? Swim for the glory of God this next weekend, right? Uh, go to work for the glory of God. Do yard work for the glory of God, even though it's 180 degrees outside, right? You know, work on your car for the glory of God. Teach Sunday school for the glory of God. Talk to that aging parent who's who's getting older and is hard to get along with and for the glory of God. That's that that's what see you see, when we look at Christ, that's chapter one, and we're setting our minds on those things, that's the beginning of chapter three. And we're designed to grow into his image. That's the first part of chapter three. And then we're relating all of that Christ stuff. We're dwelling on his word to other people. What that does is it revolutionize, revolutionizes our life that we're doing all for him with thankfulness. And, and that, that, that's what life is about. Um, he's not done. Look at this. He moves right into verse 18 into domestic relations, right? So, so let's keep on going, right? We're not done yet. We talked about personal purity, companions. He's talked sort of generally about just people in the body of Christ. Now he's going to get in your living room. He's going to get in your living room. Look at this, verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands uh, as to the as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Now, now notice, again, this is chapter 3, verse 18, and that comes after everything else we just talked about. So, so you can't just jump in and say, I'm going to work on my marriage today. I'm going to work on my parenting today. you got to start in chapter 1. It's got to start with Christ and his person and his work. And then are you meditating? Are you setting your minds? Are you growing in character? Are you uh, emulating these sorts of things? And then out of that walk with God, out of doing everything for Christ with thankfulness to God, now I love my wife. Now I follow my husband. Now I parent my children. It's got to come from the right source. And that's why, that's why you can never reduce parenting or marriage or anything to, to a, a, a simple list of steps or tips. And you want to be a godly parent? You want to be a godly spouse? Follow Christ with everything. And then go be like that to your wife, or your husband, or your kids. There's no shortcuts. Look at some particulars here. Wives, follow your husbands as is appropriate because you are in Christ. Notice this, ladies. That This should be encouraging to you. It is to me. Uh, he doesn't say, wives, be subject to your husbands because they're always like Christ. Doesn't say that, does it? Wives, follow your husbands when they're acting like Christ. See, it's not conditional. And this is what's hard, whether whether you're a wife in a marriage, whether you're in a, a, a position where you know, we're people and we have government or 
any, any sort of position of authority, the Bible is going to say what we do is not conditional on whether we think the leader or authority over us is doing the right thing. Did you get that? Do you like that? I struggle with that. But this is the key, right, ladies? Be subject to your husbands. Why? Because he's always like Jesus? Because he always does the right thing? Because No, but because it's fitting in the Lord. That's, that's what honors the Lord to follow him, whether he's having a, a good day of leadership or not, whether he's loving you like you want him to love you or not. See, see, a wife's submission and respect for her husband is a matter between her and Jesus, ultimately, not her and her husband. And that, that's, that's so much the issue when it comes to struggles in marriage. And likewise, guys, we, we, got, we got a verse for, here, for us here, too. Look at this. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Uh, so we're, we're striving to love our wives. Now, it doesn't say there uh, when she meets our needs and, and when she's being easy to get along with, right? Love your wives. And that's pretty much the end of the clause. <laughs> love them. Ephesians says, love them like Christ loved the church. So again, guys, it's not our, our love, our consistency, our service, our care is not conditional in some way on what our wives are or are not doing. This is something we resolve that we're going to be like Christ to them regardless of how they are. And notice here the, the warning, do not be embittered against them. Where does bitterness come from, by the way? Bitterness comes when you don't deal with your sinful anger in a biblical way. When you let the sun go down in your anger, and as Ephesians says, you give the devil an opportunity. Um, bitterness is the bitterness is, is the trail that the devil has been present. I can say it like that. Because Paul says when you let the sun go down in your anger, you give the devil an opportunity. Well, what's one of the devil's favorite opportunities? To let this relationship of love and care that's supposed to emulate Christ be one of bitterness and disgust and, and, and I don't even want to be in the same room with you. Maybe you've seen it like I've seen it where, you know, a couple on their wedding day and they're happier than they've ever been. They can't wait to spend a life together and, and you know, they can't, can't wait, right? And, and then just maybe a few months or a few years later, they're in my office for marriage counseling and, and, and it, it's, it's like taking every ounce of energy in them to even be present in the same room with one another. And I look at that and I go, what happened to that? What, what happened? You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're meet couples like that. And it's like, what? And, and, and one day it hit me. They let the sun go down in the anger. They give the devil an opportunity. That that's what happened. Bitterness sets in. The devil has an opportunity. Now these people that couldn't stand to be apart from each other now can't stand to be with each other. So there's a warning here in Ephesians or in Colossians, guys, do not be embittered against your wife. You, you have to uproot that bitterness, deal with your anger, work through your conflict, practice forgiveness. And how are we going to do that? We'll be back into, into Colossians again, right? It's about compassion and grace and mercy and remembering Christ and forgiving and peace and love and all those sorts of things. But it's interesting, of, of all the things Paul could have said to married couples, what did he say? Watch out for bitterness. It's the cancer of marriages, isn't it? Kids, look at this. Children, obey your parents in all things as this honors the Lord and all God's parents said. Amen. That, that wasn't very hearty, but okay. 
Um, 20, children, be obedient to your parents when you agree with them. Is that what it says? Where, where are my young theologians? So you see the wards back there, got some Giffords, got some Palmers, uh, got some Perts. Okay, got some young theologians. Okay, do you see this? Just like mom's uh, relationship with dad is not conditional on how he's doing, dad's relationship with mom is not conditional on what they're doing, guess what? Your relationship with your parents is not conditional on how they're doing. Kids, you, you, you have to resolve to be obedient to your parents, whether you agree with them or not, whether you like it or not. That's an issue between you and Jesus. Right? That's something you have to say, I'm going to do this, not because I agree with dad, but because I know it would honor Jesus. And again, it goes right back into, we're doing all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Right? And then one final warning. Interesting. As a new parent, and some of you are, some of you are newer parents, right? I was shocked at how little the Bible says about parenting. I mean, you'd think there'd be like a five volume appendix somewhere, right? You know, and, and we're, 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 look, we're looking for the appendix on teenagers right now. So if any of you have found that, let us know. Uh, uh, your first one going off to college. Where's that, where's that book? So anyway, but, but look at this. One verse. One verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Ephesians says, don't provoke your children to anger. We have to be sensitive to the relationship in a way that we're not, we're not leading them to anger or exasperation. We're not doing things that make it hard for them to respect and obey us. But we're making, we, 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 this is the way family should work. We, we ought to make it easy for everybody else to do their job. And so we have to be so, so careful to not be hypocritical, to not, to be around, to, to, to listen well, to deal with our anger, deal with our sin. Uh, uh, I didn't put it here for sake of time, but Lou Priolo in his book, The Heart of Anger, it's a parenting book. He's got 25 ways that kids exas- that, that parents exasperate their children. And it's simple things like, I don't go to them and seek their forgiveness when I sin against them. It's simple things like mom says one thing, dad says another thing, and now I've created this mixed message. It's being a hypocrite. It's not being around. It's disciplining and anger. It's being too lenient or too heavy-handed in how we train. You know, things like that. We don't want them to lose heart, and uh, so we're mindful of that. Last thing, pursue a life of vocational integrity. Pursue a life of vocational integrity. These last couple of verses, he's going to talk about uh, slaves and masters, employers, employees. Verse uh, 22, slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Here it is again, right? It is the Lord Christ to you, whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences, the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. So, masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you, too, have a master in heaven. Just, just very quickly, you guys know this. So, when we think about slaves, servants, employees, obey from the heart, right? If, if I service obedience is not honoring the Lord, we have to obey from the heart in our work, in our school kids, in our schoolwork. We're obeying teachers. We're doing what they want to do because we're ultimately honoring Christ. We seek to please God, not just men. And we, we view 
we view our work as an opportunity to serve Christ and know that there are both rewards and consequences for that. This is, this is a, again, a sobering moment that I might be doing all sorts of things at school or on my job, but if I'm not doing it for Christ, if I'm not doing it from the heart, if I'm not doing it to please him, that there are rewards and consequences for what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, and that God brings those things, as it says there, without partiality. And then what, so, so that's like if you're an employee, right? You're, you're doing it from the heart. You're doing it to please God. You're serving Christ, not just your boss. Now flip it around. Some of you may be in a position of, I am the boss, right? I, I do run the company. I am a manager. I have people that work for me. So chapter four, verse one says, treat your employees fairly. Treat them fairly and with respect. As it says here, grant them justice and fairness. Of course, in that culture, you could take advantage of slaves and, uh, you know, treat them horribly and, and, the Bible says here, you, you treat those people fairly and, and with justice and integrity, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So uh, we can think of it like this. Be a master in light of your master. Be a boss in light of your heavenly boss. Right. Uh, be, be an employer in light of our ultimate spiritual employer in God himself. Okay. Do you see how practical this is? Do you see why he spent all that time in in chapter one talking about Christ and who he is and his work and all that? Because all of that stirs up ideas and and momentum and and pictures that then help us to know how do we do life. And and he gets so, so practical here. So, So your mission, should you choose to accept it this week, is go through that passage again. Look at your your life of personal purity. Pursue a life of relational harmony. Think about your family life and think about your work or school life. And and let's let Christ have first place in all of those arenas. Okay, striving to be like him because of the security of being united with him. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for a chapter like this that just puts it all uh, so easy to see and apply, and yet we know that um, as simple as these things have been that we've read, they are hard to do. So as we would continue to meditate on Christ, might we strive to be like him in all of these arenas of life. And Lord, even give us insight this week as we meditate on these verses, uh, make people and relationships and particular issues come to mind that, that we might apply the work of Christ in particular ways. Lord, help us to set our minds on things above, remembering Christ and his character and the companions amongst us that we might, um, we might live in light of the fact that Christ is all and is in all and we'll do it for his glory. In his name we pray. Amen.